This is Dan Fagella, and this is our fifth episode on AI and retail and e-commerce here on AI and Industry. If you've missed our previous episodes, be sure to tune into those as well. We've had guests on from Evolve Technologies, from Commerce IQ, from Frazy in our most recent episode. A lot of great insights about how e-commerce and retail are shifting. And this week, we dive a little bit deeper into how artificial intelligence is evolving personalization as we now know it. Uh, Brian Walker is a chief strategy officer at Bloomreach. Bloomreach is about a 10-year-old company with about 400 employees based in Mountain View, California. And Brian speaks with us about how personalization works today in e-commerce and retail and how it evolves tomorrow to adding additional context to the user's experience for where they are and when they are and how we can make stronger calls to action. If you're interested in more retail AI use cases and going a little bit deeper than we do in this initial podcast, then be sure to download our executive cheat sheet on artificial intelligence and retail, and you can download that at emerj.com slash ret1. That's R-E-T as in retail, emerj.com slash ret1. And you can download our executive cheat sheet on artificial intelligence use cases in retail. We've got some breakdowns of terminology, a set of very representative use cases that might apply in retail, whether it's brick and mortar or e-commerce, and a nice representative set of what's coming down the pike in the future. Without further ado, we're going to dive more into personalization here with Brian of Bloomreach here on AI and Industry. So Brian, we'll start things off by just getting your perspective on where you really see most of the AI adoption and traction when it comes to the world of e-commerce today. How do you like to sum that up or how do you think about it? Yeah, well, thank you, Dan. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Of course. Yeah, I really, really appreciate that. You know, we work with customers who are looking to drive growth and they're looking to drive margins and they're looking to optimize the customer experience, both, you know, to great, provide a great user experience for, for the customers they're attracting. But also, you know, that does lead to business optimization because you're putting products and content and offers, of course, in front of customers that are going to be most likely to engage and convert those customers. So, you know, really, I'd say it's, it's, it's fair to say that, you know, what we see is that customers are deploying and applying AI primarily around driving that customer engagement and personalization and business optimization. But of course, retailers are applying you know, AI in a variety of different areas. And certainly there's opportunities around price and supply chain optimization, which many also may yeah. be looking into, but it's just not necessarily as mature at this stage. Yeah, you know, we, to be frank, we kind of see the same. We see personalization as a huge bulk of, particularly in the e-commerce world, you know, if mm -hmm. we're not talking brick and mortar, a huge bulk of where present AI traction and vendors like yourselves are, are focused. Supply chain is pretty big, but yeah, in, in purely e-commerce, I'm, I'm going to second sort of your general finding. Obviously, that's where you guys are focused. When you kind of explain you know, where personalization comes in, why these dynamics are prevalent, why this is really catching on in the e-commerce world. How do you like to articulate all the different shifts? Because personalization is broad, right? It could have to do yeah, with could have to do with the, you know, the blog post that you see on the homepage based on your behavior. It could have to do with the the promotion you get in your inbox. It could have to do with the color schema that we use on this particular sales page for you. I mean personalization could mean a million things. How do you like to kind of put a bounding box around that term and explain maybe the different categories of personalization that, that you you think kind of are active today? 
Well, that's an excellent question, and certainly one that I think many in the in the market have been noodling around and 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 having you know vigorous discussion about. Like, how do you define personalization? You know, many define it very narrowly, but I like to define it much more broadly. And if you really think about it, it's around delivering to the customer something that they're most likely right now um, to be looking for uh, and the experience they're looking to achieve. You know, of course, in the narrow sense, people tend to focus in on recommendations, right? Using collaborative filtering to provide the customer a likely set of products that they may be also interested in. And I think there's there's some some well-worn ways to accomplish that. Obviously, at Bloomreach, we do invest significantly in, in the algorithms that drive those kinds of aspects of personalization. But in a more broad definition, this is around adapting the user experience, the assortment, the navigation of the experience you're delivering in a way that, that drives the most opportunity for the customer to find what they want. And for you as a business, right, to capture that intent, to convert the customer, and also in the most profitable way. So in a practical way, what do I mean by all of that? I'm talking about search and search results. Yep. Um, you know, on your site, that can be based on how a customer arrived at your site, right? Using that signal, what did they click on? What was their query on Google? What email link did they click on? Or how have they been browsing the experience right up until the point they execute a search, right? Those are all really important signals that we can use to provide the most relevant results for the customer, right? And obviously, there's common relevancy ranking rules that, you know, people are going to think about just in terms of driving raw relevance, but you get into the semantics of it and the intent of the buyer and use the accumulation of the vast amounts of data you as a business are collecting through all that engagement to drive a more personalized experience. And of course, search extends very quickly into browse. So as a customer, you know, navigates and kind of looks through your assortment, we then can personalize how that grid is represented. So to me, the, the broader definition incorporates those things in the user experience plus content and offers that might be derived primarily through you know, segment-based analysis in addition to leveraging that one-to-one signal, uh, the kinds of things I just described. Yeah, and, and uh, I think the, the audience of one dynamic is something I think that everybody's shooting for. You talked about a couple things. You mentioned raw relevance per chance. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if that was actually an industry term or if you were just using that kind of as your own sort of colloquialism. What, what did you mean by raw relevance? Well, you know, you do a query for black, right? A search engine returns a bunch of things that are black. Yeah, well, how do we, yeah. You know, how do we then step beyond that basic sort of keyword search to leveraging semantic understanding? You know, if someone was just searching, browsing on dresses before they searched on black, you know, we we can do things based on that to drive a higher likelihood that what gets returned in that return set is relevant to them and that the first, you know, filters that they engage with may also reflect that. And that's just the search scenario, right? Keep in mind that that same kind of thing can be leveraged across the whole site experience outside of that as well. Yeah, and so a lot of maybe what we're talking about in terms of forwarding this idea of, of personalization into the AI era might begin with things that don't even necessarily involve AI. You talked about a couple things, what people search for in the browser bar, what search term they come in from. 
but then what you're talking about is then extrapolating that based on other factors. So taking taking this random cold factor like they mm-hmm. came in for X, but then maybe we pull in other things like, oh, of the people that came in for that term who saw right. all these different variations of the of this particular landing page, how well did they perform? Or, or given the fact that it's Christmas and they're searching for this term, what should we then sort of bend and mold this into. You talked about collaborative filtering. I'm, I'm aware of what you were talking about. You know, you talk about the Netflixes of the world and the other folks that mm-hmm. play the recommendation game. How do you explain collaborative filtering to someone who hasn't heard the term before? You know, I think the uh, simplest way is just to think about how that shows up within a user experience, right? Just focusing on, you know, how would you leverage that communicating with a customer? And it's very simple, right? Customers who browsed also browsed. Customers who bought, also bought. Customers who searched for, also searched for. And what you're doing is you're leveraging this very large data set and finding patterns, right? People who did that did this most likely next, right? Or did this next. And then you're, of course, you're, you're accumulating all of that signal across all those different customers to, you know, algorithmically determine the most likely set of things the customer may be trying to do based on everyone else who did the same thing. Yeah. So, and, and that could be within a geo region that could be, if we know their gender, that could be what their search term was, any of those common factors. Absolutely. Yeah. The people like you could be like you in myriad ways. And it's, it's the job of, of, I guess, vendor companies like you or the companies that adopt technologies like yours to figure out how to weight all those different factors. Should I really put weight on geo? Should I really put weight on season? Should I really put weight on, because it sounds like there could be a lot of complexity there. There's a very large amount of complexity. And, you know, when I first started playing around with personalization and collaborative filtering in a very, frankly, simplistic way in the early days of e-commerce, when I was running the technology group of, of a early e-commerce you know leader we had a guy uh, his name was Tim he had a computer underneath his desk you know we kept having to buy him more capacity right back in the day to try to run algorithms to determine really product personalization now of course we were doing things like cross sell upsell on things like detail pages and carts and so on and of course the merchants believed that the best way to do that was based on these outfits that they would design and create for customers, right? And often that would be, you know, a belt and a pair of socks and a pair of shoes and a shirt with a pair of pants. Now, in a very simple way, what we found was that actually customers who were looking for, let's just say, jeans, the thing they were most likely to also buy was actually another pair of jeans, not the belt, the pair of shoes, the shirt, yeah. et cetera. And so, you know, what you can imagine the fight in the early days, right, where the merchants are like, well, I want this whole outfit there, right? That's what they're trying to do. And we would have to argue that, yeah, but that's not what your customer wants to do, right? (laughs) So who's right? Obviously the customer. And then we would also get into fights about, you know, the merchants, uh, and I'm not, this is an anti-merchant. I'm just, you know, using (laughs) it as an illustration. (laughs) I don't have have a bone (laughs) to pick with with merchants. Yeah. But it's just illustrating the point because this can be applied in, and I have other stories that I could tell about other markets where this sort of thing also played out in a different context. But, you know, I would, I would then make the case and I would make the case too around content optimization and A-B testing. It's impossible to be smarter than your customer. And that the only way you can really be sure that you have the right marketing message, that you have the right content, that the products you're merchandising together are the right ones is to test it. 
to test it or leverage the data that your customer is generating and then use that. And of course, you're using it not in a cynical way, right, to try to trap the customer or trick them. You're using it to give them a better experience. Yeah. And in transparency, in some ways, in how these things are communicated is also really valuable. Uh, I had the good fortune of working at, at Amazon uh, during a period of time when they were doing a lot of the innovation around personalization. I wasn't on that team, but I had an opportunity to work with a lot of those people and learn from them. And uh, one of the things that they found out was actually the more transparent they could be in, like, what was the signal and what was this asset, you know, this widget that they were presenting you, what it was about, the better. The customers actually liked that. They liked being told something like, you know, customers who search for also search for, or customers who bought also bought, or customers who visited also visited, because that actually was kind of helpful. Like, oh. Okay, it's almost like a, a passive recommendation in a sense. Yeah, that's that's funny, um, right? Yeah, and so that was a really profound learning. Um, <laughs> and a lot of the rest of us in the market at that point in time, including where I had worked previous to Amazon, you know, we're kind of trying to do it the other way, right? And it was only through testing, first of all, that they realized that that was true. And it was only through testing that you improve the algorithm, which is something inherent in what we do, of course testing algorithms all the time based on different use cases, different all these different signals and how do you incorporate them and what's going to lead to the best result. And of course, content, all kinds of aspects of the user experience come into play from how you design a site and an experience on the page to the content you're using to populate it, right, to the products and how you market them and present them to the customer. All of that in a sense, right? And yes, there's, you know, limits to in, in many cases, uh, what an organization may want to test. And there's also a bunch of user paradigms that maybe are kind of established now that we don't have to do infinite experimentation around. But the point is, you can never be smarter than your customer. And you need to leverage you know, them to make you a better merchant and marketer. Oh, as, as a, uh, if I was on your marketing team, I would, I would like where you're headed there. I, I think that that's a pretty compelling argument. And I think Amazon... Proves the validity of the argument maybe better than even reason could. Uh, mm-hmm. So final little question. We can keep this one really brief, Brian, just knowing where we are in time. But I'd love to get your take on this before we wrap up. You know you know where personalization is today. You, you also know where it's been in the past because you have experience with the, the early big players here. When you look ahead half a decade to what the new norms of personalization are going to be, where do you see those norms shifting? In other words, what, what do you suspect will be some of the biggest impacts of where personalization will go, where, where it can't today, but, but it will tomorrow? Yeah. And again, excellent questions, Dan. <laughs> Tough ones. Yeah, I think if we're talking about personalization and where we think that is going, you know, we actually have a lot of room to grow and, and develop how we adapt the user experience. And again, kind of based on context. An analogy I use to try to describe like the importance of context is like a travel scenario, right? At what time of day and what day of the week, what day on the calendar are you shopping for travel? Where are you in a journey, right? Where are you in the world right now? Uh, all of that is context for the user And of course, the experience naturally should adapt to that. So that if I'm like an hour before my flight departure and I'm like not, I'm three hours from the airport, (laughs) you know, how do you help me get to the help I'm looking for to resolve probably a problem 
right now. Similarly, if it's Saturday morning or Sunday morning in my time zone, and you know that I'm at home and I'm on my mobile device, there's a good chance I'm looking for one of those uh, travel destinations that are in the you know top 20 you know destinations in the world articles yeah, that you find yeah. in the Sunday paper or whatever you know. And then similarly, you know, everyone's today's modern world right is multiple different personas in a travel context. You know, we're traveling for business, traveling with our families, we're traveling on romantic getaways. All these different things were all of those things. And again, so context can be super important to the user experience, not just the marketing stuff, right, that I want to get in front of you. And I think that's a huge room for improvement. I also think that customers are smartening up, right? I mean, we all recognize that there's this, this, I'm going to use the words, apologies, quid pro quo around how I, I, you know, sites and marketers and others, uh, platforms collecting data that's being used, often not in a very helpful way, actually. And I think another opportunity for real innovation is marketers being more explicit, um, encouraging customers to share what they actually want the marketer to know so that they can get a better experience in return, not a discount, but a better experience. And I think, frankly, there's a lot of room for improvement there because I don't know how many times you go on, let's say you're one of your top shopping, you know, destinations online, right? Whether that's solving problems, you know, finding things you need for your home or what have you, or whether it's based on your interests and passions, but you're constantly going through all the same steps to browse and filter and navigate to get to what actually matters to you. And wouldn't you be okay with more explicitly sharing what you care about in order to have a better experience? Probably. So those are some of the things that I think are still huge rooms for adaptation. And then let alone all the multitude of different touch points and devices that we need to now align and synchronize and blur the lines between online and offline as well. Yeah. So final final point to wrap up your context point. I, I do agree that the evolving ethics ecosystem is probably its own uh, series of books, never mind podcasts. But to, to just tie a bow around the context point, do, do you think, you know, we're talking about being at home, being late for an airplane, that, that all these things might change how a marketing message might come to me or when it might come to me or what it yeah. might present me? Does that just involve a future where more data is being drunk in by the system? In other words, to pick up on that context, I now need new sources to pull it in, right? I don't know your plane is late until I'm somehow hooked into that data. I don't know. Does does that just involve more data and finding more ways to interpret it and tailor messages? Is that more or less what you meant by that? Or did you mean something different? Well, you definitely are going to be consuming more data sources, right? Uh, Much of which is already available. I mean, we're not looking, we're just looking to synthesize it more effectively and more importantly, make it truly a real-time system. Because to be honest, right, most of the solutions that are powering quote-unquote personalization today, you know, are still largely batch-based solutions that are not even close really to real-time. And in order to make a contextual multi-touch point, you know, environment for the consumer really work. Of course, it has to be real-time or very, very close, obviously, to real-time. And that means being able to incorporate these different signals and context essentially immediately in order to then respond to that. And of course, test and optimize your responses. So again, your system is self-learning. 
right? Getting into the concept of machine learning. So in order to do that kind of thing at scale, yes, you need more data. You need a near real-time solution and you need to leverage machine learning in order to actually make it all work. So, you know, technologically, you know, there's a few relatively small leaps that, that need to be made. But more importantly, you know, I think moving beyond kind of the constraints of today's enterprise marketing environment and really making a step function change in how we enable all of that is going to be required. You're, you're telling me, and there's a lot that goes into that, which hopefully will be the, the topic of future podcasts. But Brian, I know that that's all, all that we've got for today, but I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on both the present and the future with us here on AI and Industry. Thanks so much. Hey, Dan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. So that's all for this episode of AI and Industry. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It means the world, and it lets me read more about what you like about the show. The comments on the podcast, the comments that I get on LinkedIn are often the driving force for the new themes and the new episodes that we create in the months ahead. So I couldn't do it without your help. Again, if you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It would mean a lot to us. Without further ado, I'll wrap up from here, and I'll catch you in next week's episode of AI in industry.